It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. How can you address that balance when you're playing home and home time? Have you got a suggestion? Well, you can you can modify the schedule to make it nine and nine. The difficulties of that are immense because of the fact that you've got an odd number of teams in one division. Mm -hmm. But there are some great math thinkers that'll get this one figured out. That's not a problem. Are you saying that's not you and I, Don? <laughs> Leave it to the math guys. Let me add it and I'll get it. <laughs> no. Third down gamble. First down. Hey, Don, we are going to be talking about uh, that schedule you mentioned there in the pre-show. Yes, we'll bait our audience with a little bit of a teaser that we are coming back to the amazing world of schedule making. You bet. But before we do that, we're going to talk about some of the free agents that are still out there. But before we begin, Don, let's make sure that we are not talking about that league that shall not be named. The blank, 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 dash two league that I referred to. Mm-hmm. Had some people not happy with me, but such is life. <laughs> well, we, you know, truly we do care about what our listeners think, but we don't care if they're mad at us. Well, we do care that they're happy with us, but <laughs> and we're not everything we're going to say is going to sit well with everyone that listens. I mean, we're trying our best to be the best that we can be, but there are some conscientious decisions that we have to take about certain things as well. Absolutely. We're passionate fans. We mentioned that in our very first episode. So we'll continue to be passionate. And of course, if people do want to uh, put two cents or let us know what they're thinking, you can do that with us on uh, Twitter. Um, let's get into it. Let's start talking about the free agents, Don. Who is surprisingly still out there this week? Well, it's been the number one on our hit parade from day one, and that's Darrell Walker. Although word is coming out as we bring this podcast to air, that he is very close to signing with the BC Lions. It's going to require some restructuring with Mike Riley and Suk Chung specifically, getting their contracts a little bit more cap-friendly to make room for Walker to get there. And I'm sure if you're Riley, you're probably looking at this and going, yeah, I wouldn't mind having him to throw to. They are going to have a tremendous receiving core out in BC if that is true and, and he does in fact sign. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, you've got Burnham on the other side, and that is special already. Mm -hmm. You've got to think that BC is going to be putting up at least 30 points a game. Yep. Riley is going to uh, give our other quarterbacks in the league, people like Harris, a run for the money when we get to fantasy. You, you've got a bunch of great quarterbacks out in the league this year. It's really amazing, the, the wealth of talent. But yeah, come fantasy time, where do you go? It's going to come down to who's been on a hot streak, who's been healthy, what team's defense are they facing? All those factors are going to just make it a, a real tough go. You bet. Well, let's get into some of the others because some of our receivers that have been hanging around did get signed this week. We saw that Naaman Roosevelt went to the Alouettes. What do you think of that, Don? I was a little surprised by that. Um, I didn't think that the Riders would have completely walked away from him, but... Apparently, whether it was numbers or a feeling that they had to go in a new direction, I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything otherwise. It did surprise me. I thought that likely he would come back, but uh, Montreal is going to be a good fit, especially with that whole situation with Quan Bray. And if he's not available to the Alouettes this year, they need somebody like Roosevelt. Absolutely. Good possession receiver. That's, uh, he, was, uh, you know, he had a few more long receptions early in his career, but the last few years he hasn't really had the same amount of... Uh, Deep threat, but certainly a possession receiver, and I think it's going to help Montreal a lot. 
Well, he nearly had a thousand yards last year. He was just shy, mm-hmm. and he had a lot of targets from Fajardo. The big thing with I think Roosevelt that I always liked about him was he wasn't afraid to make the tough catch. That's the one going across the middle, knowing you're going to take a hit. Yep, I think he was the Riders' number one receiver on second down conversions. If I'm not mistaken, he had 26 of them. Uh, that's a big target. Absolutely, and then you've got Dominic Rhymes um, heading out to. BC as well. Now a little bit of an Ottawa connection there with the coach. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, another type of player that can be really explosive. And you mentioned off the top how explosive the Lions could be. Well, you've got Walker, Burnham, and Rhymes running you know, for you. Look out. Like, What do you do as a defense? Wow, you're, you're going to have trouble keying on people. It's going to be exciting. And uh, you know, if, if, if Riley's willing to restructure his contract, he's going to certainly benefit from that. That's the thing. Like, you know, a restructuring doesn't necessarily mean he's taking less money. It may be just deferring it into another contract year. Mm -hmm. So if people are getting uptight saying, wait a minute, why does the quarterback have to give away money? He may not be. This may be just, we're not going to use it this year. We're going to use it next year. Well, the other thing that we've seen happen uh, is that the quarterbacks or players on a team will restructure. If there's cap money left at the end of the year, they'll take the signing bonus in lieu of the pain. That's true, too, and so that's always an option as well. Mm-hmm. But we'll see what the, the Lions do. They, Ed Hervey's a pretty creative soul, and I'm certain that he's passionate about winning, and after that five-win season last year, I'm positive that that doesn't sit well with him. He wants to win, and that Lions team, I think, is poised. Definitely. Uh, we do have another possession receiver out there. He's still available. Luke Tasker hasn't been signed. For me, that's surprising. I thought someone would pick him up. I'm I'm really surprised that Tasker hasn't been picked up. That totally blows me away. Granted, nine games last year, but he's under that magic 30 number mm-hmm. in terms of age. Um, 406 yards, okay, nine games. So let's extrapolate that. That's almost 900, you know, in a season. Um, that's not too, too bad. And But he was an, a thousand-yard receiver three of the last four. He's a possession guy. He gets you the tough yards. Great yak guy. Absolutely. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand this. Unless there's something really, really wrong with, because he took such a hellacious hit against Saskatchewan, and I wonder if there is more to that that people are afraid. You know, I'm I'm surprised someone hasn't gone on him. So there perhaps there may be. We did have a few other people being signed though. Um, we had uh, I'm thinking Terry Williams, another offensive weapon, a running back, kick returner. He signed with the Eskimos, and the Eskimos have certainly been loading up as well. Yes, they have. Milanovic certainly is sort of loading up the stock, as it were, to make sure that he's got the people he wants. And I think the Eskimos are going to be a very dynamic team. I'm not so sure about their their wide receiver situation just as yet. Do they have the speed to burn down the sidelines? I'm not convinced. Yet Edmonton has been very good at finding those people. You look at Zlestra, you look at, I mean, <laughs> Walker. You've got a lot of people that have been unknown before they played in Edmonton, and they were outstanding. It'll be interesting, as I say, though. You've got to get them. And does Duke Walker come back? No. Um, is Zilcha on his way back? Probably not. So it's not anybody that was there. So that means you've got to go another route, and that means U-Sport or the NCAA. It sure does. We also have um, Rodney Smith. That one is another one that surprises me. But again, I'm not privy to the what the demands are. I would have thought by now he would have been signed. I, he's a good possession receiver. I just don't understand what is missing that he hasn't latched on with somebody yet. That's right. Uh, only 29 years old as well. So, you know, is he asking too much? Again, hard to say. Or is it just that there are other options out there? 
it could be maybe he's looking at NFL camps and we just haven't heard much about it. Okay, I'm not going to mention much about this next guy, but uh, there is a receiver, Monty Edwards, who's gone to the league that shall not be named. That is true, and of course that raises the panic button that, oh my, another veteran player has left for the blank, 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 dash two league. But that's okay. That's four out of how many? Am I panicking? No. The sky is not falling. Yeah, the CFL has to take note, but let's not uh, get too crazy about this. There's always going to be attrition. There's always going to be movement. And to think otherwise, I think, is kind of foolhardy. I do believe that the the move by Edwards might go down there, play a few games, and still want to get back to the CFL. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some of the athletes do that. If they're able to go down and prove that they're still you know, a high-caliber athlete who's going to be able to add something to a team, they may take a look at, uh, if nothing else, being picked up in practice roster and being an injury backup if they need some time off. Well, and the other thing, too, like when these guys are signing, two, three, even four games have elapsed in that other league, mm-hmm. and so half the season is pretty much over. They're not going to be playing that much football. They might be pretty fresh when the season is over, and that could, again, afford opportunities to look at the CFL once again. Absolutely. Let's go over to the defensive side. There's only a few people outstanding in terms of the big names that are left. The one that I guess I would, I would question has not shown up anywhere is Jonathan Rose. That, to me, is another question mark that I'd like to have answered. It's not like he can't play. He played three full seasons. He was averaging about 50 defensive tackles a year, you know, a couple of INTs per season. He gets injured, and all of a sudden now his stock has just dropped. And I don't know, is, is it a case of teams not wanting to take a flyer on somebody that's been hurt and thinking that if this guy – now has become injury prone or is it this guy maybe hasn't come back as far as we need I, I just don't understand it completely I don't either he's he's a young player age 26 and that's quite different than some of the others that are still out there Odell Willis 35 Sean Lemon 31 Corey Greenwood I believe is 34 so you have some defensive players that are out there that are into their early to closer to the mid 30s and and some teams may be a little reticent to take a look at spending big money on those guys well, that's true. Once that uh, mid-30s is hit by anyone, um, especially in the CFL, NFL, whatever, you're looked at far differently, and especially the guys in the interior. Offensive linemen probably can survive deeper, but defensive linemen definitely, when they hit about 35, that window closes very quickly. It does too. Well, we'll keep an eye on the free agent situation over the next few weeks, and I think we're going to also hear a lot more about teams signing people from the camps as they're going and exploring down in the States. Stay tuned. Second down. So, making the rounds still is Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, as he tours different CFL cities, and he's talking to the fans about the proposed playoff change which is going to be on the docket on March the 17th. And I've gone on record with my feelings about it. Pat has gone on record with his feelings about it, but we thought we'd explore this just a little bit further because there are a couple of other elements that might be of interest. Now, one of the things that was this whole idea of a team picking its opponent, namely the best record overall gets to choose who to get to play in the final. Not the Grey Cup final, but the divisional final, I guess you'd call it. And what bothered me immensely about this, you've got a situation, and this is in this year's schedule, Montreal and 
Winnipeg are coming down to the end of the season, not out of the realm of possibility. They are tied in the standings, both having a shot at being the third best record overall. Commissioner has said it's going to make the race to the playoffs far more exciting with this new format. However, Montreal or Winnipeg win the game and then have to sit and wait if they win their next one to find out where they're going because somebody else gets to choose for them. How incentivized would they be to really worry about the result of that game? You have a good point there, Don. I mean, that's uh, always been the case at the end of the year. When do you sit people and when don't you? And when you're playing for a home playoff game, there's an incentive to play. But if you're not sure if you're going to be picked or not, um, that's interesting. I mean, if, if it's the fifth and sixth place teams that are who the person can pick from, that's a little different. Well, maybe, but I still I don't see it as any different personally because fifth and sixth place teams are tied in the standings and they go, well, I want to play. If I win my final game, I get to be fifth and I get to play the fourth place team. And okay, granted, we're sixth now, we play the third place. But they don't know beyond that if they're going to be you know, pulled out of a hat and, oh, we're going to... Calgary this week. I can imagine if that was the case. And, and I mean, you use the example of Winnipeg, Montreal. So let's say it is Winnipeg. I can't imagine the Blue Bomber fans would be really thrilled to be pulled from a potential home game, being that they might have finished third or fourth if the first place team overall decides that that's who they want to play. Well, I don't think they get one through six. They only get the winners of the first weekend. Right. But let's, again, play that out. Winnipeg finishes fourth. They win the 4-5 game. And now, you know, I guess you're right. They wouldn't be hosting a game at that point. Now, the best record overall says, wait a tick. We don't want to play you. We want to play Ottawa. Fine and dandy. Two things at play, though. Number one, the the selection, I believe, comes 24 hours after the games are over, which means the team that makes the selection gets an extra 24 hours to prepare for their opponent. And I don't think that's fair either. Well, we talked before. Last week, um, part of our argument was that that the uh, team who is sitting out has the advantage in that they they have an opportunity to do some extra planning. This would give them that 24 hours to do some extra planning, which does give them a slight advantage. That yes, the bye week gives them advantage, absolutely. But this would give them that next step as well. And I think it's kind of double dipping. You shouldn't have everything just because you have the best record overall. I mean, why not just hand them, you know, a berth to the Grey Cup and let everybody else fight for who you play against? It's just, it's not fair in my books. If you're going to make them play in the playoffs, then make them abide by the same rules that everybody else has to abide. Well, you're right, because even the team that finishes second then isn't necessarily getting the advantage. They have to take a look at all three teams while the other team maybe has a day and they know who they want to play, but they, they sit on it. Excellent point. And, and this just goes to my whole problem with that whole picking thing, which just grates me to no end. Um, I think it's, well, I've said a lot of things about it, so I'll leave it at that. But beyond that, if you're going to go to this new format, you, I don't know, I just don't like this element of chance. I mean, chance happens enough on a, on a football field in the 60 minutes or more that you need to decide a winner. Why do you have to win a game and then look at your television monitor and go, where are we going? I guess one of the things that, that stands out to me is, is as we've heard different people, different podcasts, different media people talk about it, it seems to me they either love it or they hate it. There's no in-between on this one. And I guess what I'm left thinking is, 
Ambrosi's out there asking the fans, and he's moving from city to city. You're going to have a lot of varying opinions. I imagine, as we talked before last week, when we get out to the East, there is a potential for a bit of a disadvantage in the East, and uh, no one is asking the players. It, at least it appears that way. Well, I wonder if the CFLPA gets involved in this at all, and I don't know if they're a constituent in this process or not. I, I'm sorry. I just don't know. But you would think that they would be because it does impact their membership, not in a direct way, like there's an extra game to be played, but in an indirect way as to travel plans and all that sort of stuff. Well, and I think the other thing that I would argue is that this is now coming after and, and during free agency, so no decisions have been made and you suddenly change it right before the season. If you are going to take a look at this, to me it would make sense to um, slow it down if this is what people say. Let, let's study it for a year. Let's make sure we have all our ducks in line. Let's do everything we can to make it a, as even a playing field as we can so that we can move forward with everyone understanding what the outcome is going to be for the upcoming season. I like that idea. If if it's weighted in in any sort of uh, formal a- application until 2021 or even 2022, then at least you've got time to prepare for it, to sell people on the idea. You, the, let's face it, the East has four teams. It's just mathematically going to be difficult for all four of those teams to make the playoffs, which means that the East is probably going to wind up losing a home date potentially more times than the West will. Yes, absolutely. When you have nine teams in the league, it's quite difficult. Well, it it's really comes down to me, it, uh, how big picture are you? The smaller the picture, you're probably more happy with this move because it means that the better records get the playoff home dates. But to me, big picture is you need everybody in the league to be prospering and successful, and I'm not sure this is the way to do it. Third down gamble. Well, Don, at the top of the show, we promised that we were going to talk a bit about scheduling. And I know last week when we talked about it, we had some interesting ideas. We uh, we challenged, I think it was really you said that, you know, with the right math, you can make some changes. So I think you uh, took your own challenge up. And my understanding is you've made some suggestions about some scheduling that could potentially balance things a little bit more when we talk about the inequity out with the Eastern teams. I'm interested to see what you have, and then I'll have a chance to throw my two cents in, and I know you'll have a few things to say. I won't I won't go so far to say this is an argument yet, but let, let's hear what your, your scheduling is. Well, I came up with two different proposals for the league as it sits with nine teams, and then when the schooners come in, I thought of a third proposal to encompass that. So the question is, in my mind, there is an imbalance. How do you address it? The East plays more games in the West than the West does in the East. And what I wanted to do was address that issue. And with my first proposal, the East plays every other team in its division nine times and also play the West nine times. So that gets rid of that imbalance. It does create a little bit more of an interesting situation in the West where in this schedule that I came up with, Two of the teams play six games against the East and 12 against the West. Two of the teams play seven games against the East and 11 against the West. And one team plays 10 games against the East and eight games against the West. And if you're the lucky or the unlucky team to be that, then 
say la vie. But when you're trying to do it this way, it's an extremely complicated way to do it. I need to stop you right there, Don. I thought I thought when we were talking about scheduling, it was to get it more balanced. When I look at you know two teams playing six times, two teams playing seven, and one playing ten times, that's not balanced. That's not as balanced as what I would like. It is certainly balanced in the East, nine and nine. But as I went through all these ruminations trying to figure out how to get the West to be equal, it just can't do it. It's a nine-team league. You get five here, four there. You always have to make some sort of allowance. And my allowance was, well, if there's going to be an equity, at least you get, except for one team in the West, you get a preponderance of your games in the West. So it's not like you're you're jumping to the East to make this allowance happen. You are actually staying at home for 12 games, or 11 games. The only team that doesn't is the one that has to go 10 against the East and 8 against the West. And 1 out of 9, that's not so bad because it's 4 out of 9 right now. My brain hurts. My big concern there, Don, would be that, uh, you know, in, in the event that you had one league, or pardon me, one division that's stronger than the other division, um, playing 10 games as opposed to playing 6 could give you quite an advantage in scheduling. It could if you're strong enough to make it work for you. If you don't, then so what? You Even in the schedule as it is right now, certain teams play four times, certain teams play three times. It's, it's not a perfect world as it stands. I could not vote in favor of this. If Randy Ambrosier were to bring this to me, I would say fire the um, schedule maker on this one, Don. Well, I'm not getting paid for this, so I don't think I have to worry about losing any money. <laughs> well, if you came down to Regina and you talked to Randy, you could get paid for this if you come up with a good solution to actually balance it. Somebody needs a timeout. Well, the one that I like is my next proposal, and that is where the East plays within its division 12 times and plays the West six, and the West, four of the teams play within their division 13 times and play the East five and the final team is a four and a 14. Now that is very close to equitable. That's much closer, Don. I mean, I didn't like your other one and I won't say this one's perfect either, but I think it's much better than what you had before. One team playing four. I mean, you can't get it balanced. You're right. Someone's always going to be out there. Interesting thing in this side would be that team that's playing Western teams 14 times. Boy, are they loaded heavy. If they happen to be the weak sister in the West that year, ugh. It's not something that just springs out of the schedule. You have to have a team that has to be able to compete. So, yeah, okay, you do play 14 games in the West, but I think the other thing that you got to think of is the whole business of local rivalries. And I, I'm a firm believer that a, a Saskatchewan-Winnipeg or a Saskatchewan-Calgary, Calgary-Edmonton, that there's an uptick in interest and attendance and the more of that you get i think the better you look at like let's say the nhl for an example the preponderance of their games are played within their division and then they start moving us outside the division and then outside the conference to fill in the rest of the schedule and i don't see a problem with teams playing the majority of their games against common opponents in their division you know i i don't either this is definitely weighted heavily to that side because again you're you're looking i'm guessing at least three or four times you're playing the other teams within your division you know depending on whether you're west or east the only concern i would have is is you're not uh, even doing a home and home as the west comes across to the east or vice versa so you're you're hearkening back to the olden schedules 
Well, this would be the pre-full uh, interlock schedule of 1981, and that's the way the universe was. In fact, prior to 1961, the East didn't play the West and vice versa. There were, there were no games outside of the Grey Cup. So what people tend to forget is that these were two separate entities that kind of agreed to work together mm -hmm. and formed under the Canadian Football League in 1957. But it took a long time, four years, before they even started playing one game against their opponent across the way. And it took them another 19 before they said, okay, let's go full interlock. I kind of see that movement towards full interlock as one of the things that kind of hurt the league. If you have a, a weaker division that's where it gets exacerbated. If you have the preponderance of games within your division, it's not as visible. Yeah, I, you're right uh, in that sense. I guess I still would think that this doesn't quite balance the schedule. I mean, I think it's better than your other one, Don, but it doesn't quite balance the schedule in that, uh, you know, we, we all know that home field gives people an advantage. So the year when you travel east and you play east, as a Western team, they'll struggle. Vice versa from the Eastern team. When you travel only to the West or you have a majority of those games that are uh, crossed to the opposing division, uh, you're traveling more, you're, you're more likely to lose those games. They're tougher to win when you travel. There's a reason why people like home games. True, but you can get them next year. <laughs> That's a long time to wait. You know, okay, three of the games, yeah, you only see them once, but one time you do get a home-and-home home with somebody. It's a very complex schedule again, um, I wish I could put this out on Twitter, but there's just no way to do this. Attach a PDF to it. So well, we could take a, we could take a picture of it and put it up there, and people could at least take a look and give us some feedback. That's true. That's true. Well, you know what? Let's consider that. Um, I do the one of of all the ones you've done. Of course, it's it's easier when you have uh, ten teams in the league. But of all the ones you've done, you've uh, made an assumption that that we've got the Atlantic Schooners in the CFL, and you've balanced five and five. Let's talk about that one. Well, that one was pretty straightforward because you play, again, 12 teams within your division, and that goes uh, for either side. Then you play six against the other division, and you play everybody in the opposite division once except one team, you have a home-and-home. Home. You know, Halifax doesn't have to go to BC every year, you know, that's, or BC to Halifax every year. I mean, you got to think of travel costs, you got to think of hotels, everything like this. Like, if you're trying to, uh, to sort of rein in costs as the CFL is really working hard to do, one of the things you can do is shorten the travel. Yes, you can. And, and this would, I mean, again, it's not necessarily balanced. If you were to um, play all the other teams, you've got nine other teams, you could play a home-and-home home as well. Uh, again, that goes to full interlock or a fully balanced schedule, but I, I'm not a big fan of that because that brings Halifax across to the Prairies five mm -hmm. times. I don't think that's greatest thing in the world for their budget if they only had to come three times it's a lot how's better. that different right now than bc who's kind of out there well it's the same thing for bc going the other way and i think that would benefit their their numbers you know my thought don is is that some of these all three of these that you've done i mean you've done some good work a uh, nice job on the math you you took yourself up on the challenge and i do think there's there's definitely some benefits there i bet if we did post this on twitter this also would be a love hate type of thing for people either they're loving it or they're hating it Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have no doubt about Let's it. Let's take a look at uh, the schedule that I'm proposing. Uh, you and I talked briefly about this, having three divisions where you're looking at West, Central, and East. So if we were to just organize them by geography, you've got BC, Calgary, Edmonton, one division, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Hamilton is the furthest uh, west 
of the Eastern teams, and then Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal would be in your East division. That way you could go three games within the division, so you're playing each team in your division three times, and then an interlocking home and home. So it's kind of the opposite of what you proposed in the fact you didn't have home and home. I'm talking about having home and home across the way with only uh, extra games with those three teams within your division. Interesting. Uh, my biggest problem is Hamilton and Toronto are roughly 50 kilometers apart. How do you split them up into two different divisions? Well, the, the other thing, and I do see that as being a potential, and, and I mean, do you rotate Eastern teams through that Central Division? I don't think you want to do that if you're going to get rivalries. This would only be if the Atlantic Schooners don't come in, because I think if they are coming into the league within the next few years, there's no point doing this. But if they don't come in, this, I think, gives you that balanced schedule with home and home, creates that CFL across Canada where you're meeting everyone twice at least and the teams within your division three times. The interesting side there would be how do we move to playoffs then? Do you take just the top six teams and you put them in? One versus two have a bye or one and two uh, have a bye when three plays six, four plays five. It would be one option. The other would be to make sure that each first place team hosts a playoff game the two best of those three would get a buy in the first round. The third one goes in as well as the next highest host. And you're trying to balance them highest versus lowest with the remaining three teams. The idea is great. I just can't see it being practically applied. I can't see how you're going to split up Saskatchewan and Winnipeg with another Eastern team because you're taking away a local derby either Ottawa, Montreal, or Hamilton, Toronto, is always going to be lost. And I, you can't do that. You just can't. So did you find when the team was uh, an eight-team league, did you find that Winnipeg was lost to the West? Or did they fit into the East Wall? Well, again, we had a full interlock schedule, so they were still coming West regardless. But I, it, it was weird. I mean, having grown up with Winnipeg in the West, to have them gone for almost 20, well, I guess it was 20 years, uh, it it was definitely very different. So what you're saying is you're a traditionalist, Don. True, but I'm just going back to an era when this was the norm, and that predates the 80s. Now, I'm I'm quite happy with that. I don't think you need to see everybody in your home park every year. I think every second year is fine. But but it's so much of a traditionalist. You're you're moving away from these last 20 some years where we've had interlocking schedule. I guess since the 80s, more than that. Um, back to uh, pre-80s. There's there's a lot of CFL fans who've never seen that done. See, I would take a look at, at someone like my daughters who've uh, been you know season ticket holders with us for a long period of time. They've never seen that non-interlocking. And for them, they would really dislike, I think, going back to uh, some of the things that you've looked at. So again, we've, we've said on all of these that we've discussed, it's a love-hate. The scheduling in a nine-team league is difficult. You've got, as you said, the the prior to 1981, the way it used to be and the way it is now. And, you know, do you continue with this, with what Randy Ambrosi is opening this jar and letting people have a say on it? We're still concerned, do players have a say or don't they have a say? Uh, and, and someone's going to be unhappy with the way that this works out if you make change. And my way to address this whole notion of having wildcard games is have more of your games within your own division so that if you do not make a home date, 
then you have no one but yourself to blame. But if you're playing outside the division more often than not, I just, I don't see that as fair. And that's always the East plight. It is. You know, there's there's definitely going to be some opportunity for fans to get involved if they go out, if they haven't already had Randy Ambrosi in their city. If you really have strong feelings, I, I would invite people to go out and talk to Randy Ambrosi about what you think should happen because he seems to be listening and, and the league is open to change and innovation. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.